Greg McWilliams, who is the current director of rugby in Yale University, while he also just came off uh, the back of a November series with the United States as their backs coach. So I do my usual introduction and then I follow it up with a question, which is normally how are things? So I might as well stick to that. So Greg, how are you today? Yeah, doing great, Richie. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Uh, feeling good just back from Georgia late last night so back in the office this morning trying to get on top of things here so feeling fresh no doubt oh yeah <laughs> not really but uh <laughs> yeah no uh feeling okay I'm feeling okay it's good it's good to have this uh chance of a chat perfect okay well to kick it all off um I want to start off with your memories as a child so you know what was growing up as greg mcwilliams as you know a six seven eight year old like oh pretty complicated <laughs> i'd say back then <laughs> uh i was very lucky to get educated uh, in st michael's from a young age all the way through my junior school and senior school and i think i went into school every day just looking forward to seeing the guys and having some fun uh, certainly the classroom was secondary uh, in terms of importance uh, but, I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better uh, upbringing. I had a, very, uh, I had a very good experience in Michaels. My two older brothers were in Michaels before me. And, um, yeah, we all went up through the school and we had some great memories. Sweet. And, you know, what do you remember most, say, when you progress into senior school and, you know, you feel like a, probably a small fish in a massive pond at stages. And I'm just saying, what do you remember most about your senior school days, whether it was in school or outside school? Like, is there any kind of funny stories that uh, stand out for you? Oh, God, you're putting me on the spot here. I think yeah, when, when, I look back now, when I look back now at my time, Michael's, it's definitely the friendships that you've, you've made. Um, so even now I'm in a WhatsApp group with the exact same group of guys I was friendly with in Michael's. And we still talk the exact same way. It's bizarre. Here we are, you know, 20 years past uh, graduation and we're still sharing the exact same uh, immature humor. Um, but I, I think that's the biggest thing was just the sense of community that I had. And I suppose from being in the school, it made me want to stay around the school after I would graduated uh, coaching rugby as an 18, 19 year old when I was up in UCD and then eventually going into teaching there and coaching there. So I, I think the fact that I stayed in Michael's long past uh, my sell-by date as a, as a student kind of proved just how much the school meant to me and, and how much I was willing to, I don't know, stay there. I loved it. Um, and it was um, it was the environment that I was most comfortable in. Okay. And you, you touched on it there that um, you went into teaching in, in St. Michael's. Like, did was that the plan when you were in fifth and sixth year? Was that just more of a you know, you were going through college and then you thought, hang on, might as well stay in the school that I love, try to do a bit of coaching as well? Or was it, like, in other words, was it planned or was it not planned for you to become a teacher? Uh, it was not planned at all. I I felt that when I left Michael's, as great as it was, and I did have a great time there, so I was never going to go back into teaching or coaching there. Uh, my first year out of school, I started coaching the under-14s as, as a student job, which so many people do. And straight away, I just loved it. I loved um, having the chance to, to coach and to educate. And the more I got into rugby coaching, um, the less I was interested in playing and uh, the more I was interested in staying coaching uh, for a long period of time. And, you know, it's here I am 21 years out of the school. I graduated in 1996 and I'm still coaching and I'm still, I suppose, coaching in a, a style that I would have learned through my time at Michael's. So, um I never would have expected going back to the classroom. And it was a mentor of mine, uh, Noel Turley, who was a, a very dear friend to myself, my wife, Sarah. But I, mem I remember it yeah. so clearly. I, I remember going to him in the staff room. Um, I was working in Michael's, assisting him as games master and coaching in the school. I think I was coaching the senior 
maybe panel two at the time. And um, I said to him, look, I really want to get into coaching full time. I was looking for this, um, you know, bit of guidance, uh, hoping to direct me in the rugby world. And he said, well, if you want to be a, a rugby coach, the first thing you have to do is go back to the classroom and become a teacher. Um, I wasn't expecting those words, but yeah, they were absolutely the right words. So I went back and I did my HDIP in Trinity and I went back to the classroom and I became a school teacher. And, and while I was teaching in the classroom, I was also coaching um, in St. Michael's, whether it was uh, starting out with the under 13s, coaching with the JCT or, or with the SCT. Um, I stayed coaching and teaching there until eventually I left and I went to uh, I went to America where I'm currently sitting at a desk talking to you over the phone. And I suppose just to kind of sum up what you've just said there in the last minute or two, you know, what, what were kind of the, the standouts or the highlights of the first few years for you as a coach or even some of the lows as well? Like, you know, those first three or four years when you're quite, an, you're kind of a novice, but then having said that, you're kind of wor- learning your trade and working yourself up. Um, the back kitchen was a lasting memory I have. Um, I think, I think we, we refer to it now as the black hole, uh, which is, you know, you, you're finished coaching in Michael's and you go down to get a cup of coffee and you realize it's not 4.30 anymore, it's 7 o'clock and you're still there and you're realizing, geez, I, I better leave here and go and do something else with my life. Um, and that is the lasting memory was, you know, just there's a group of coaches there that I got on really well with uh, on a personal level. You know, we played a lot of golf outside of, of coaching. You go on a lot of rugby tours. Uh, you know, you have a good social life. And um, it was just feeling comfortable. I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, Dave Wilson would have been coaching around the same time and Porter Bennett and, and Chris O'Connor, um, you know, Jeff Dre and Eamon O'Reilly. I mean, look, I, you can name so many people who were around at that time. But yeah, I, I think we all thought about the game in a very similar way and we challenged each other and we had a lot of fun. And um, yeah, that would be the lasting memory. And then I suppose getting the opportunity to uh, be involved in the JCT in 2002, uh, the year we won the cup, that would have been pretty important because it opened my eyes to obviously succeeding with a really good management group and a playing group. And you began to realize you know, things that worked well and maybe things that you could add or, or things that you had to work on for the following year. And it got to the point then where I was very lucky to be the S coach of, or the SET coach in 2007. And that was actually a difficult time um, because um, I, I took over the SET when uh, there was a, a coaching staff that were in place and I took over from them. And uh, that was, that was, that was a challenging time for me personally um but from there you just concentrate on the coaching and um you know getting good people around you and you know i i think that's that's certainly my lasting memory is just working with really good coaches and and trying to challenge each other and try to just create a really good environment for the player and I, i think you know being away and looking back into michael's now and just seeing how they're doing is just it's really exciting and it's it's testament i think to the coaches that were there before me and also to the coaches who were there after i mean there's some brilliant young coaches there at the moment and um long may it continue no i agree and well said and i'd say the last thing just touching on schools rugby and the experiences you had just to touch on that senior cup win the first the first senior cup win and obviously the school's history you know, was there any kind of pivotal moment where, you know, you felt that, you know, this actually could be the year Michaels finally actually win a cup? Or was it very much a thing of just take a week by week, month by month, and then just work your way to that first cup game, try win that, and then focus on it? Or was there actually an anticipation in December, in January, that this squad was actually going to be a cup winning squad? So as, as a young Michaels boy, you know, six, seven years of age, I used to go up to the cup matches. And every year I thought we'd win the cup. Um, when you're in that school, it's so important. So yeah. I was always confident in the players that we had, even at a young age, that they were good enough to win a cup. And that year, you know, they're already very well coached and they had a good skill set. And actually bringing in an outside help. We brought in Mark McDermott that year, who was... 
a BlackRock college student. And at the time, he was coaching the Irish under-20s. And I suppose the attitude to winning success in BlackRock then was very different. So he came in with a mindset that I felt was really valuable. And he had a massive part to play in, in that win. I mean, I, I think back to our last match before the Cup. We lost to Gonzaga, up in Gonzaga, which is tough to take at any time as a Michaels, as a Michaels <laughs> fella. But, you know, that was our last match before he we went into a Cup campaign. And I think uh, we had a, a meeting either the day or two after, and Mark led the meeting. And um, I just remember during that meeting, the way he spoke and the way the players reacted, I felt that there was just a bit between the teeth going into the cup campaign. And then, like anything, it's about getting momentum and holding momentum. And I think we got a good positive momentum going into that cup year. And as a school... I think back to the team of 1991, even, that my brother was on. They lost to Clangos in the final. I think of the year in 88 as well. They just needed a win. The school just needed to win. And I think getting that win was the most important thing from a rugby playing perspective because all of a sudden you're hoping that a a first-year student coming into the school sees winning, knows what it's like, and um, will make winning in the future easier, if that makes any sense. So... No. Getting the first win for me was always a, a really important thing. And I think once we got that first win, well, then players were much more comfortable in winning. And yeah, I, I think Mark McDermott had a had a huge part to play in that. And the further away I get from the event, which is, you know, 10 years ago, over 10 years ago now, the more I realized just how much of an impact he had on me as a coach as well. Um I think we always had a good way of doing things in Michaels, but that outside influence um, and that bit of hardness and that mental resolve is something that he brought to that team. I think we had to really touch on that in order to get over the finishing line. And once we got over the finishing line, well, then, you know, it just made it easier from then on in for teams to have both that mental hardness, knowing what it was like to win, but also then develop the game and, and, you know, to the point now where, I think we're always from year to year in with a fighting chance because we've got a competitive group who are who are uh, who are ready to to compete in the in the cup competitions. Now that's that's completely well put, and uh, it only takes uh, a quick glance at what happened in the you know the ten years after that to see how kind of conf- you know how how kind of expected it was for JCT and SCT team, SCT teams to do really well and be successful. Just winning, just. Just winning. I mean, if, if we had a win any year before 2007, it would have been a lot easier. It's just to get that first win was so important for so many people. I mean, look at Noel Turley, who I mentioned before, and Paul Barr, Gary Coakley, and Frank Mackin. I mean, they slaved for years and years and years and put in so much effort, and they just fell short. Um, but to get over the finishing line... Um, even though, as I said to you before, it was a tough year from a personal level, getting yeah. over the finishing line is is it, it was just so important. And um, hopefully, you know, now the coaches can just add to that. And I, I think we're seeing Emmett McMahon, who's coaching the SET this year, and Andrew Skeen, who's leading leading rugby there, Michaels, over the last number of years. And you know, Shabzi, who's coaching the JCT, and Nags has been there. And, Ronan Joyce, I mean, they're great coaches who've taken the program further. And that's always your hope when you leave a position is that you can you can look at it and it's better than it was when you were there. And there's no doubt that it is. And that's a, a really, as I said to you earlier on, it's a really great thing to, to see that. And there's nothing better than following the team from over here and just seeing them winning a lot. It's nice to see. I was actually about to do a Ronan Joyce impression there, but I thought otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) Always welcome. Always welcome. (laughs) But um, to kind of move on from um, the school side of things, um, another big moment for you as a coach, I'm sure, was when you went in to coach the Irish women's side uh, in 2009, and you were there for about four or five years, and you achieved some pretty big things in there. And I'm just wondering what it was like, because probably at the time, the the women's side wasn't as developed it wasn't as popular as it probably is now the media probably weren't taken as serious as you know they are now and like what was that like to kind of step into um when you're usually coaching you know 
school players or else players just out of school to completely going into a different environment with, you know, an up and coming sport in a female side of things? Um, it was a real eye opener. I remember the first time I met the group was down in Navin and it was in December and I remember the pitch was frozen, so we couldn't train on it. Um, and that was the it's first time that I had it. Yeah. It, I remember it was the first time I had a chance to see the players. I came on board as a skills coach to begin with. Kevin West brought me on board. And straight away, there, was definitely a, there were definitely a group of players who I thought had potential. And, you know, when Kevin West left and Philip Doyle, came back in as head coach and then I came on board as the backs and did a little bit of attack. Um, they just grew from strength to strength. We had a really good um, conditioning coach who uh, put big emphasis on what the players could do when we weren't in camp. Um, and at the time, we were still very much underfunded. So our lead-in time to competition was very short. We got to 2012 and we played England away in, in Escher or Esher, as it's pronounced, I think. And um, at that stage, we had a chance to actually uh, win the championship. And we played England in our last day, and we were level at half, or maybe just three points behind. In the second half, they just blew us off off the park, and we lost the game pretty heavily. I think we learned a lot from that moment going into 2013. I think if ever you look at the Six Nations, whenever you have France and England at home, that's always a year that you can target. In 2013, we had uh, France and England at home, and we had um, Wales away, Scotland away, and Italy away in the last match. So we targeted that year, and we got the bit between the teeth. But certainly early on when I was coaching the Irish women's side, people, I sense, were like, oh, you're coaching the women's side. And whether they respected it or not, I'm not too sure. But certainly after 2013, when we won the, the Grand Slam, I think the respect levels definitely increased. And then going into France, I actually stopped after the 2013 Grand Slam because uh, I was I was doing quite a lot of coaching outside of Michael's as well with club and with the Leinster 19s. And, you know, I had a wife, Sarah, who um, I wasn't, you don't get a chance to spend a huge amount of time, particularly as a rugby coach and something that you're probably experiencing yourself at the moment when you're trying to coach and get better. I mean, you have very little social life. You yeah. miss christenings and you miss birthdays and you miss friends' parties and you know. I don't have a tough, wife though. So. <laughs> but you will. You, you'll. You'll. Uh, yeah. But uh, well, you'll hopefully will someday uh, if somebody's willing to put up with you. But yeah. uh, I think certainly, I after 2013, um, I decided that I wasn't going to go into the 2014 Six Nations Championship, and I didn't. And then after that championship. Um, I was asked, would I would I be willing to coach with that team again leading into the World Cup in 2014? And I was really happy I had the opportunity to do it again because I felt we had a bit of unfinished business. And, you know, going into Marcosi in France, the players just put in so much effort. I thought, you know, there's good understanding between the players and the coaches. And um, we had a pretty clear menu of how we want to attack and defend and the players were at that at the right age in terms of their maturity to to go into the world cup and do something special and they did so it was um it was a nice way to end that five-year stretch um, beating new zealand in the world cup and like we were awful in the semi-final against england mm. it's always my one regret we were um we we're just awful and I always, I always think there's some things that could have changed at halftime, and I didn't. I mean, Joe Schmidt and Les Kiss came on board with the Irish women's side and helped out a huge amount. And I remember after the pool stages, I jumped on a plane and I went back to Carton House where the men's team were training. And Joe Schmidt, you know, gave some great advice on the, the attack and, and on England's defence. And we thought we implemented it, the change as well. But I look back at that match now yeah, I, would, I should have changed some things at halftime, and I didn't. I suppose you just have to learn from that. And then we went into a third and fourth place playoff against France, and you know it was a cracking game. I mean, full house. Um, the French really got behind their uh, their women's side. I mean, there could have been fifteen, twenty thousand people at that match, and we came on the wrong side of it. So it was a bit of a damp squid at the end of a great tournament. But still, that playing group, I felt, were in a really good position to kick on. And um, 
certainly this summer, looking back on how the World Cup uh, finished for them, I mean, you know, th- there was blaming of a coach, there was blaming of the players, but w- when you're competing as a team, there are so many different variables that go into it. And it just was one of those competitions that just didn't work out for them this year. And hopefully the IRFU and, and the playing staff and the management staff can can be in a stronger position afterwards if they do a proper, uh, I suppose, a proper statement of accounts of the, the competition. And I just wish the team well moving forward because it was hard watching them, and particularly towards the end of that tournament this year. Um, but yeah, so so coaching coaching that side, I, I had to do it. You know, I'd, I'd been in Michaels as a student and as a teacher from a young age, and just to go outside that environment and to coach um, a different group of players was really important to me. And it's why, you know, I went and coached in Blackrock Rugby Club, which again, Noel Turley suggested I, I should do. He thought it'd be just, you know, as SCT head coach at the time. And he goes, why don't you do this? I think it'd be, you know, we both felt that'd be just great for somebody from Michaels to to coach in the in Blackrock Club and kind of show that, you know, we're above maybe the perception that's out there. And I went down to Blackrock for, for five years as well. And I had a terrific time. Um, and I, I felt that that BlackRock influence as well was important. It was certainly important for 2007. Remember, I, I started coaching BlackRock in 2005. So having a chance in 2007 to coach players who had won multiple cups was very, very, I, I thought, very beneficial. Yeah. Well, no, that's a definitely an interesting point, talking about the mindsets, and you can apply that to pretty much anything really but um no it's definitely interesting seeing as uh back in the to the mid 2000s it was all black rock um before obviously michael's kind of turned up late to the party moving forward on is next on the list anyway is you now find yourself in the states in yale and you know my question to you really is you know what made you you know move over to the united states and leave not so much all the work you've done, but just leave, as you said, your comfort zone in Dublin and, you know, take up the role as a Yale director of rugby. You know, when the opportunity came to go across to Yale, it was one that myself and my wife looked at and thought it was a great chance for us on a number of, a number of levels. Um, obviously, professionally was one of them, but also on a personal level, just to experience a different way of doing the same thing. Um, and, you know, I'm here now just starting my fourth year and I must say it's, it's been such a, an incredible uh, learning experience and having the opportunity to, to meet, you know, so many kids from different environments and an alumni group who have so much to offer. I mean, the amount that they've guided me off the field in terms of best practice you know, and how to actually control more the business side of a rugby program has been really eye-opening. And you know, they, they've no um, they've no problem ringing up and, and letting you know if things aren't done well enough and what needs to be improved. And I need that. I think everybody needs to be kept on their toes. So, you know, Yale rugby. And I suppose I can go into a bit of the Yale history now without boring you. But uh, uh, Yale rugby started in 1875. So it's been played for, you know, over 140 years. And Walter Camp was the Yale rugby captain who eventually founded American football in 1906. And George W. Bush played for Yale. And there's so much history within the sport. Um, So to have the opportunity to come to an educational institution like Yale and a chance to build a rugby program was a dream for me. Um, Because I always think that professionalism is... Monday morning, it's like how you get out of bed and how you control your week. It's not necessarily the environment you're in because, you know, going for me, certainly from being in St. Michael's and to go into a professional environment was very, very difficult. And if I was going to go into one, it would have been, you know, a lower league in England or somewhere. And um, I came over to Yale and it was very, very tough at the start. I remember I was here for maybe I was three weeks into into being here and I remember being behind the posts and, and pretty much being in tears ringing Sarah up telling her to pack the apartment that we were going home <laughs> and in fairness to Sarah she told me just pretty much to harden up and um, 
you know, she gave me some great advice in, in the following weeks. And now, you know, we're really proud of where we are as a program, but we're still at such a, an early stage and there's so much more improving that we have to do. It's, it's, it's really exciting. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's very similar to Michael's in certain ways. And the idea is that in, in a couple of years to come, that we'll be really competitive as a program, but that takes time. And, and, um, but yeah, I've loved it. I really have. Nice. And, um, is there any kind of, like, I know you kind of mentioned that there was a few kind of those tough times early on, but like what, what kind of stood out for you in the first few months as like just a complete culture shock, whether it was on or off the pitch, uh, whether it's work related or not work related, like, was there something that once you arrived, you were like, Jesus, I just, I was not expecting this at all. And it took everything, everything, everything. Like there was no office. Uh, we had, they weren't allowed in the gym. Uh, we had no uh, physiotherapists or, or trainers. Um, our our balls were different shapes. We had a, we had a couple of rugby balls that were in the shape of a soccer ball. <laughs> I don't know how that was possible. Somebody blew it up an awful lot. Yeah. Our jerseys were, you know, a little bit old and kind of a couple. You know, it it was just you know we had no changing rooms. Uh, you get changed in the side of a field. You know, the grass was long. We struggled to have fifteen players. Um, it really was a big culture shock, but straight away, the students were terrific. The alumni were incredibly helpful and everybody just wanted to improve. So I think as hard as, as some of the early building blocks were, you had a group that were willing to stick the toes in and get to work. And, um, certainly that's been, that's been the real benefit you know i'm calling now or we're talking to each other from my office where myself and the women's head coach and my assistant coach uh is just across the way from me and you know we're in the varsity gym where all the other uh teams are we're in the medical room with all the other teams uh you know we we're a lot tighter in how we present ourselves around uh the campus and i i think we've worked very hard to get to this point but still for where I see the program going and where the players more importantly now see the program going. I think we all realize that we have a lot of work to do and it means that we go into different stages of the year. So now we're finished our full season, uh, which ended well for us, thank God. And now we go into a four month winter, I suppose, period where we don't have a huge amount of competition before next spring. So our guys go from being out in the field and doing like a lot of conditioning and, and competitive weights uh now we go into off season strength work where you can you can afford to do heavier weights and, and less conditioning so we're going into that stage now where you're hoping the players can get stronger and physically in better shape to to perform when it comes to our spring season which starts with a tour to hong kong and japan in march so um the whole thing has been uh eye-opening and it's certainly i've had to improve an awful lot as a coach and i've had to change the way that i've coached in order to to suit the, the playing group and that's been the greatest challenge um and yeah i've thoroughly enjoyed it yeah it's been great could you i'm just feel like i'm putting you on the spot here but uh could you give us maybe an example of say one thing you've had to change in relation to your coaching uh that say you just had to change in relation to you know it was accepted in Ireland or else it was it was it worked in Ireland but it didn't work in USA. So I I look back on how I coached even even uh, in, in Ireland even even when I, things were going well and some of the things I did I just I look at and I nearly shudder when I think about it. I think the most important thing is just to be bluntly honest with players particularly about where they stand and what they need to improve on and what they need to work on. And I think that's something that I've had to become much better at. Um, and I think then your approach to coaching, even though some of the players have limited experience at Yale coaching, I think it's really important at the same time that uh, you guide players a lot more than prescribe to players. So at Yale, I think one of our strong points is our ability to think uh, we've got some very, very smart players. So it'd be remiss of me to not use that as our main um, our main strength. So we have leadership groups within our team and those leadership groups you know, present to the rest of the players on 
certain areas, you know, be it the scrum or the line out or our attacking shape or our defensive structures. Um, I would meet with the leaders during the week with the assistant coaching staff and we'd have a very clear plan. Then they would be the ones who would present to the players. That's something that I didn't do enough of when I was in Michaels and something that I think I've learned now is the absolute importance of having players who are controlling the environment and you're there to support that. So, you know, just being away with the USA national side, which was a terrific experience, it's it's the same principle, is players that are there, it's so important that they're the ones who are leading how they're looking to play and how they're looking to think and and their standards. And, And you're there as a coach to drive that. And at times you step in and you might have to be quite firm in how you're looking to guide because they've gone off course. And other times, you know, you just let them do what they're comfortable doing and you're there just to make sure that you're promoting that as, as often as you can. So if you take your, your week now, I think, for, I think for my time at Yale, it's really afforded me the opportunity to, to be better at identifying a group and then, you know, what coaching style suits that group. Because I also do some consultancy work with a, a company here called Adivus, which looks after USA rugby uh, academy and I do the curriculum for that and you, I get the opportunity to travel around the country which is terrific but you go into certain environments and you need to be quite prescriptive as a coach and you go into other environments where you need to guide more and just challenge and play so I think it's 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 allowed me the opportunity to um, I suppose watch first and speak second as opposed to speaking first and then watching second um, and that would that would be you know certainly my approach as a coach now is I'd like to think that I coach more through, you know, things like adaptive games, and you're just questioning your players um, about their actions and trying to challenge them and and putting together your, your, I suppose, essentially, you're painting pictures for your players and scenarios that they can problem solve around, and that's been really good fun. You know, I've, I've really enjoyed that side of it now. It's something that I, I'm still trying to get better at, and it's something that I, I work on pretty much most days. I'm, I'm trying to improve that side of my coaching. Because I think that's what a player needs now is is a real challenge, and uh, it needs to be it needs to be fun, and it needs to be pretty intense um, for them to be engaged. So um, that's my biggest challenge, I think, with Yale or, or with USA is the ability to to hit the target market, if you will, and make sure that you're coaching the way that uh, the way that they they should be coached. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. In uh... I don't know if I get it. I think sometimes I find myself waffling. No, here. no, 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 no. You know, they say like, but they do say to be a good coach, you need to be a good salesman. So I don't know whether I'm just selling you what I'm doing, but uh, certainly for me, it's how I, I'd like to think I'm coaching at the moment is it's a lot more player-based. and It's a lot less about me. I mean, like, you know, as you mentioned, like I had the opportunity, just got back there from from, from being away in the November series with USA yeah. Eagles, which is a massive honor for me. You know, Monday and Tuesday, I'd, I'd be talking quite a lot. But by Thursday, Friday, I'd be saying nothing really and just making sure that you're creating what needs to be done for the players. And they're the ones who drive it, you know, particularly the Thursday, the Friday into the game on the Saturday. You know, by Saturday, you're pretty much just in the background, just watching. And that's something that, I've had to work on, uh, but it's something that I, I think I'm getting better at, but there's always room for improvement. keep hearing about Eddie Jones saying he wants to be, uh, his job, need, he wants it to be redundant by the World Cup, and he wants pretty much all the players to be in charge of things, both on and off the pitch. So it definitely is a, it's a reoccurring theme with some of these top coaches that, you know, less is often more in their case. So, you know, if you educate the players enough to be able to react to these situations that you know your job as you said it becomes it becomes very easy and you just let them do their thing so no i definitely uh see where you're coming from with that and um just so we're just tipping we're tipping the iceberg i feel like we've been uh teasing (laughs) the whole you know the last the last five seven eight weeks for you probably have been very exciting times and i just want to want to start off with you know the little things you did with uh Robbie Deans and the Barbarians. Um, like obviously, Robbie has ties with Yale. I think it's his daughter who goes there, isn't it? Yeah, his daughter, his daughter Sophie, 
I mean, it was a quite a funny story about how I got to meet Robbie originally. Um, a Yale kid came up to me, a, a freshman who, who ironically is now the captain of the club. He's a senior. He said, uh, "Hey, coach, there's, <laughs> did, a, there's a parent coming did over." Did he call you coach? No idea. Call you coach? He goes, "That's what you're called in America, <laughs> coach." You just, you just get because at the start I was real. You know, there's certain parts of me at the start you think you're going to bring in a yeah. way of doing things, but then there's certain ways that they do it in America that you just have yeah. to run with. Um, so, yeah, the term coach is used quite a lot. But uh, he came up, he's like, hey, coach, I'm, look, this is going to be really weird, but there's a parent coming over and he wants to watch a couple of rugby sessions. Like, I know it's completely ridiculous, but do you mind? I was like, of course not. You know, all, the more the merrier. Um, give him my email address and, and just tell him to reach out. I'm, I'm happy to talk to him and we can grab a coffee. And next, this email comes in from Robbie Dean's Panasonic Knights. Like, <laughs> hey, Coach McWilliams, you know, I'm over visiting Yale, visiting my daughter. Do you mind if I come and watch training? I was like, well, firstly, you're going to be doing more <laughs> than watching. And secondly, like, you know, I'm pretty much going to be the world's biggest <laughs> pothole on you for the next few weeks while you're here. So... He came over the first year and we, we hit it off straight away. You know, uh, we had a lot of uh, opportunities to grab coffee and just talk about the game. And um, we shared some, uh, you know, mutual friends within the game. And he came out and coached uh, the Yale team and we just got on really well. And, and we developed a strong relationship from that moment over the course of the last sort of three years. And then when the opportunity came to go with the Barbarians, I was meant to uh, start in Japan and then go from there to Australia, over to the UK and Ireland, which would have been amazing. Um, but once I got asked to to be the attack and backs coach with the USA, that really was my priority. So I, I was very lucky that Yale allowed me to leave uh, a week early and, and go to the Barbarians for a week. So I met up with them in, in Limerick, and I was there for the week leading into the Tonga match. And then the next day, I traveled from there out to meet up with the USA in Germany. So, you know, the experience of watching Robbie coach and uh, Scott Robinson, who's he's the um, Crusaders head coach, and just being around them for the week and, and the players, just seeing how they drive an environment was, was really impressive. And certainly, you know, for me, it was an eye-opener and you're trying to improve your education, but just seeing how they facilitated for the players was, was um, it was just brilliant and you know, I went in there thinking I was going to be a fly in the wall. So the very first meeting I was at, I went to the back of the room and I was trying not to be in the way. And straight away, Robbie just, you know, fingers me out and I, I had to say a few words. And then the players just made me feel really welcome. And I suppose I got stuck in wherever I was needed to, to help out and assist. I did. And um, it was just a huge honor, I must say, just to be around that group of players I mean, you think of the likes of Andy Ellis, you know, the scrum half. I mean, when he spoke and the way he um, went about his business, coming on board, like, you know he's going to be a terrific coach down the line. He's such a clear way of, of communicating with the players. And Scott Robinson was just so much banter and fun. Did he get I his mean, dance moves out of it? Yeah, we, we, we were – well <laughs> – uh, I not that I can say uh, over over the radio, uh, but you know they come in. The great thing about the barbarians is is that true way that you know that's why Rob, Robbie I think likes it so much. It's it's that old school style where guys come together, they play a great sport, um, while they're in an area, you know they go around to all the schools and all the clubs and they spread the the word and they play a style of rugby that. Uh, hopefully is attractive and it creates fun and excitement. And then they, they enjoy themselves. Um, particularly at the start of the week, they would have had a bit of fun, but certainly they had a day off on the Wednesday. And after that, it was, it was, um, I must say everybody then be began to concentrate in the game and, and, uh, it got a bit more serious, but, uh, and then from there going into, uh, you know, the, the Germany and Georgia games, you know, it, it was, it was such a great experience. I'm, I'm back here now and I'm excited to to do a bit of work here at Yale and try and get better and try and make our program better. And I, I get a lot of learnings from uh, from the whole trip that hopefully I can use I can use yeah. here. Well, yeah, no, I've always been a big fan of the Barbarians and uh, 
the fluid, the fluid oh, nature yeah. of their uh, rugby. And to be fair, they actually they came in with some uh, very strong performances as well. Because I remember reading last year. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like the weather and tone was so poor. And I remember, you know, certainly something that I would have taken down as and noted was before we left to go to the field, we had a team meeting, and in the team meeting, um, it was just very well done by Robbie and Scott. They were asking leading questions about what they're going to face, what they need to do in certain situations as a result of the horrendous weather. I mean, the weather was so bad, it really affected the crowd. But it's funny, I mean, the Bavarians win the game against Tonga and they scored two malls. I mean, normally, you know, you associate the Bavarians with throwing the, the ball around. But at the same time, that would have just been stupid. You know, playing in those conditions, you have to be smart as well. And I thought that uh, in the second half when we came out, we're a lot smarter with how we use the ball and the conditions. And it's really important for the barbarian name yeah, that they I win, agree. you know, because you want to be known as, as, as a, you know, a world invitational team that are is associated with winning. So I think it was really important that they beat Tonga. They couldn't have lost that match. So uh, reducing how we played in the second half was the right thing to do. And, and luckily enough, the team came away with the win um, and it was just a great experience. No doubt. I'm jealous. <laughs> But um, I, I, I mean, I, I'm living the dream, Richie. Honestly, uh, I mean, um, I still feel that somebody's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, "Hey, you're bluffing. Come on, here, here's yeah. the way out. You know, you can go yeah. through the back door." Like even when you're away with the national team at USA, I'm still waiting for somebody to tap me on the shoulder and say, "Mate, seriously, come on, out of here." <laughs> what do you do there? Like, you know, you're still waiting for that because, for like, certainly in in my uh, situation. Um, you you have a dream as a coach, but you, you can't go down the conventional route because, you know, I, I was lucky I played Irish colleges and I played AIL, but I certainly wasn't good enough to play provincial rugby or to play for Leinster. I like I was a lot, I wasn't very fast. So that was always my issue. Um, so I think you, you go down the education route and you try to get into coaching and you try to coach the highest level you can. You still have to, I still can't believe like they've had the opportunity to to coach you know an international women's team and an international men's team. That's something that uh, you know I I don't take for granted at all. It's I'm very very yeah. lucky. No, I I I agree again. And um, I'd say the last last thing I need to touch on is we've kind of yet again flirted with it a bit. Is you know your recent uh, work with USA in those two November tests, and I just I just want to ask basically you no. Know, how how was it as an experience and you know what was you know the biggest you know change or culture shock for you from going from you know coaching club rugby coaching women's international to finally being a part of a setup where it's you know it's the it's it's the pinnacle it's international rugby it's tests test matches um you know like how was the whole experience um so I'm just doing the reviews at the moment and, and in doing the reviews, I always write down notations myself about, so I, I keep a diary most days that I fill out at the end of a day and I just try and there's things that I want to work on. And I'm just looking back over it now. And I mean, it was just, it was a great experience. We started in Germany with very little lead in time. I'm not sure if you're aware, but our home union being USA rugby, you know, off field is struggling a little bit financially. Um, so as a result, we mightn't get a lot of time with our players before matches. So we had a week before we played Germany and Germany are this upcoming team who are beating teams pretty convincingly. Um, so I was worried about that game and we managed to win that pretty well. We won 47, 17, I think was a scoreline. It could be wrong or off by a point or two. Um, and then we went into Georgia away um, into Tbilisi, which we knew was going to be a very, very tough test. Um, Georgia had come to USA in the summer and beaten us. Um, you know, they were 21-3 up at half time in that game in Atlanta and they managed to to cling on. We came back in the second half. So to go into the Blisi full stadium, and I must say the atmosphere was, I'll use the term hostile, but also very friendly. <laughs> it's a hard mix. You know, they're really nice people, but like AJ McGinty, who's starting 10, who I coached actually, yeah. you know, back in Ireland, you know, every time he kick, I mean, I can't tell you how loud the place got. Um, and you had like armed guards around the stadium and 
uh, is very, very noisy. It was a great atmosphere for those players as part of their development as well to play in that sort of a venue. And we managed to um, have a kick to win it. So we lost the game 21 points to 20. So the fact that we're competitive is good. It just shows that we have so much potential there. Um, obviously, as an attack coach, uh, I'm working with a management team where we all have a role to play. And Dave Hewitt was our head coach who, again, played for New Zealand in a Rugby World Cup. But ironically, he taught, he coached in St. Michael's. He coached mini rugby in St. Michael's while he played That's at UCD. <laughs> and I knew him a little yeah, bit. It's work. crazy. Um, and he was he came in as he came in as an interim head coach. He's been working over with the Crusaders and with the New Zealand under twenties. He came in as an interim head coach and did a terrific job. Um, so we had a coaching staff that all got on pretty well. We all worked together to try and give the players the best chance of winning, and I think the players responded really well to that. So it was um, it was a big learning experience. I, I do so, certain things differently. I think. Um, because it's the first time I've been in that environment, you, not that you're overly positive, but you've such a short window that you just want to get on with it and you yeah. want to keep everybody happy. So if you had a bit longer to be with the squad, you can maybe dissect things a little bit more and be a bit more critical. But it takes time to to build relationships where you can actually be very critical about certain things. It's very hard to go in there and you know, you're there for one day, they hardly know you. You're trying to build an attacking structure and straight away being critical. Yeah, no it's way. hard to do that. Because you want the players to be in a, a comfortable position to perform on a Saturday. That's the most important thing. So I found it quite difficult. And that's just something that I'm going to have to review and, and work on um, how you can get more of a, a critical element uh, into that whole package. But I mean, from Sean Pittman was doing the forwards. He was brilliant. Dave Williams uh, was doing the defense. He was great. And, and Dave Hodges. And, you know, we just had a really good management team. Um, and we took it seriously. We worked long hours, long days, and kind of whenever you tour and you've been on tours yourself, I know you're starting out in the coaching ladder, very similar to myself. Um, it's like it's mm. anticlimactical, you know. I'm sitting here now and I'm looking back at it, and and it's an anticlimax. Um, so the next stage will be the AORC, which is the America Rugby Championship that starts in January, and that's for six weeks and. You know, you just have to wait to see if that can work uh, around, you know, my personal life or work around uh, Yale or even if USA want to have me. And, you know, those things um, have to be discussed, I suppose, over the next couple of weeks. But, I mean, as an experience as a coach to, to have done what I did is something that I'll always be really uh, proud of. But looking back, there's always more that I could have done. And I suppose that's something that I, I struggle with the more I coach is you look back and you get overly critical on yourself about how you can do things better. Um, and I suppose that's what you're always striving towards is to try and be, be a better person and a better coach. So um, I have a couple of work-ons that I'll have from the tour and yeah, but all in all it was, it was amazing, you know, just to be in that environment is great. And I'd suppose the last question, uh, Please don't cry. I know it's an emotional time when it's the last question of the podcast, but you know, would it would it be? Well, I'll actually ask two <laughs> questions to finish it off because I don't want to leave leave any of the listeners okay. uh, a bit annoyed. So, um, you know, like, would it be an ideal dream for you to continue and get asked to continue on with that USA role? And uh, following on from that, you know, what what's Greg McWilliams' views of the future? whether that's short-term, long-term, medium-term? I took a career break from St. Michael's, and that career break is mm. up to five years. And I'm in the middle of my fourth year. So either way, I've got a pretty big decision to make next year as to whether the school will have me back, hopefully they will, or whether I decide to stay on here and you know to pursue the program that we're trying to build at Yale or, in fact, move somewhere else. Um, I, I used to care much more about roles that came up and applying for roles i don't anymore because i think certainly for me it's about just focusing on trying to just do as good a job as i can and not think about too much down the line um as i said like you know i'll talk with usa this week and and we'll uh, we'll break down the tour and um you know timing comes into it remember you're not a full-time staff member when you're with ucd or <laughs> let's say ucd when you're with uh when you're with uh, USA. So 
it's very hard when you're when you've got a full time job outside of USA because you know the ARC is a seven week tour. Um, you have I you know the November internationals next week. You have the World Cup, which takes place over two months of your season. So it's a case of finding out firstly whether USA want to have me, and secondly then whether it actually works for me to do that. Um, but I mean, there's no doubt. I was just home there on my way back from uh, from the November tour. I was able to go out for family dinner with my mum, my dad and uh, my brothers and my sister and their other halves and I mean it was terrific and you miss home and you miss your family um, but at the same time I mean Yale is such a terrific place it's so similar to Michael's and my Michael's experience and um, it's going to be very hard to leave here I was going to say do they um, have a groundskeeper so yeah. who drives around in a tractor while uh... <laughs> they do they do indeed. His name, ironically, is Tony. That's surely. Is it actually? No joke. <laughs> yeah, his name's Tony. Oh, his name's Tony. And, and may I add, smokes many cigarettes a day. So uh, I think that's one of the one of the things that has to happen when you're uh, when you're a groundsman <laughs> is you ha- your name has to be Tony. You have to enjoy cigarettes. But um, like. The funny thing about Yale, by the way, is like people think, like I did, that Yale is $62,500 a year and everybody who comes to Yale is incredibly wealthy. That's not the case. Yale is what's called a needs-blind university. So over 40% of students at Yale get pretty much full age. So there's kids in my program who come from, you know, economically very Mm. poor backgrounds and their education is free at Yale. I think it's just something to put out there that even Michael's students need to realize that there's every possibility or, or anybody in Ireland of coming over to Yale and playing rugby and getting a degree from Yale if they're smart enough. I mean, you'd need to get close to, you know, certainly more than 575 points, I'd say, in your leaving. So it's academically very high. But I think the misperception is that everybody has to pay that much money to come to Yale. You don't. You pay actually what you can afford to pay. And that's like it, you know, Yale has the second largest endowment, I think, certainly in America, you know, of $24 billion, second only, maybe it's more than that, but second to Harvard. And that endowment is there, you know, so that they're able to um, allow people to come to Yale because they're good enough. So the way the, the way the application works is you apply for Yale, and if you get into Yale, you get into Yale. And then secondly, they see what you can afford to pay, and if you can afford to pay the whole whack you pay the whole whack if you can afford to pay bits of it you pay bits of it and if you can afford to pay none of it you pay none of it so i think you know you get such a massive cultural divide here at yale and i I, honestly i've learned more off the students at yale than i've learned off most people you know they teach us so much about i mean sometimes i get an email and i've got to like put into google translate (laughs) to see like what some of the words mean but it's made me more clinical with sending emails. You know, I was never great at English. My spelling would have been pretty poor, even <laughs> though I went into teaching. Uh, spelling was never my strong point. But now it's had mm. to become a good point, you know, because, you know, the players will come up to you and say, hey, coach, by the way, you spelled that incorrectly. I mean, I remember my first year, I was sending out information to do a cognitive test, which is a a testing system that we brought in that players have to take before they play rugby. And I spelled cognitive <laughs> wrong, ironically. So, you know, you have players come up to you and they give you grief about it, but you have to be very aware of it as well. So, um, yeah, I can't even remember what the question was you asked me. It was about your plans for the future. And you kind of you tip, you, you uh-huh. mentioned a good bit about it. And then you obviously gave us... I mean, Michael's... Michael, Richie Michaels yeah. is a brilliant place. I mean, you know, I, lo- I look at the people who I was lucky enough to have been coached rugby by and been taught in the classroom, and they were remarkable educators. They really were. I mean, at the time, you question them because you're a teenager and you don't understand why somebody's giving out to you because you're not doing, yeah. you're not conforming. I mean, you know, like, wh- why is a teacher giving out to me? Yeah, I'm late for class, but I mean, being late's fine, <laughs> right? I mean, you think. You think everything is fine. It's only when you look back now at some of the teachers that I had. It's actually the teachers who were the hardest on me are the ones that I appreciate the most. 
and it's the teachers who are really easy going and allowed me away with so much are the ones that you kind of yeah you might have respected them while you were in school but now you look back and you mm. respect them less so i think there's i just lucky to so many great you know people who were there to to mentor me and so many other guys uh, who have now gone on in different fields to do great things and I just count my blessings that I was lucky enough to be there and I was lucky enough to, to get the the education that I did and hopefully now that uh, that's coming true in in how I'm I'm coaching and educating players at the moment. Um and you know as long as that continues I think I'll I'll be yeah, pretty happy. Well said. Um well, this is um, the kind of fun slash banter part of the uh, podcast where you get to let your hair down for a split second. Um, oh, hello, hello. <laughs> first of all, what's your favorite TV series? Uh, Curb Your wow. Enthusiasm. Yeah, that's top, top. Yeah, and The Office, the British Office always got me through <laughs> my teaching days. And your days probably today as well. And pretty much every day of my life is trying to be Ricky Gervais, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, what is your greatest achievement as a coach thus far? Um, obviously, winning the SCT Cup as a coach in Michaels would be the greatest achievement so far. Okay. I um, think. Who well, is your favorite golfer and why? Brilliant question. Tom Watson. Originally, because he looked like Peter <laughs> Shanley's dad, um, who was one of my best friends. Uh, but I love his golf swing and... I only talked to my brother, Graham, uh, on Sunday, yesterday. Was it two days ago? My head's everywhere. We were talking about Tom Watson, and we both hoped that he won the British Open there about five years yeah. ago when he lost in the playoff. So, Tom Watson, uh, love how you okay. swung the club. Um, this is going to be a very controversial one, but I, I'd, I'd love an answer if possible. Um, which place do you prefer, Ireland or United States? Oh, Ireland. I mean, it, it, saying which one you prefer is tough. Ireland will always yeah. be my home. Um, but I must say, I'm loving living in USA. People are great. And, um, you know, I, I, no complaints living here. Very political <laughs> answer. Uh, who was your favorite teacher going through school? I had a teacher called Brian Mahoney, who was my fifth and sixth class teacher, who was really harsh on me and I needed it. Um, he was brilliant. He unfortunately passed away at, at a young age. Um, but no, Charlie, um, certainly when I left school and, and I, you know, I became a teacher myself, my wife, Sarah became very friendly with him and Catherine, his wife and, you know, Tom McCormick and Brona and David Carrigan. And we used to go and meet for dinner quite a lot. And he guided me and, you know, anything I did badly, which is very often I'd contact Noel and he'd have an answer. So no, Charlie would have been, the most important teacher okay. I had in my class. And last few coming up. So if you could get one person or guest on Rallon's rant, who would it be? I think it'd be interesting to hear what Ben Cleary would have to say. Um, obviously an Oscar winner and somebody who is just in a, a phenomenal amount of work um, behind the screen. He'd be, he'd be somebody that I'd, I'd say would be very interested to talk okay. to. And what would you do if you had 15 minutes of fame? What would I do is in like, like what would, what would I perform? <laughs> you could perform. <laughs> what do you mean? You, uh, yeah, you'd probably have to perform something, I'd imagine. Or say oh, I, that's a toughie. I mean, people always say like that I'm performing <laughs> every day, kind of bluffing around the place. Um that's a tough question. I don't really know. I suppose maybe, I don't know, Richie. Like, how can I say anything without sounding well, like a complete tool? The question. Um, Just to probably throw me under the bus. Oh, what would I do for 15 minutes? Um, and try and keep it clean. Uh, I suppose <laughs> play the guitar. Do a few covers. I mean, it's, it's do a few covers, you know, just give the people what they want. So you do the maths. <laughs> Well, oh. and uh, to, I'm definitely I'm taking the mick here with these questions. But how? Yeah, please. How do I, you they're, take they're uh, your lattes? Oh, Richie, you obviously seen that little. <laughs> hat. 
Yeah. yeah. I take it pretty hot, Richie. Too hot? Damn say? hot. Yeah. <laughs> Some might say too hot. Okay. Yeah. Some might say too hot. <laughs> no. Well. Yes, banter at banter. the top level. And um, oh. last but not least, um, sum yourself up in three words. This is always a tough one. Um, don't take myself too seriously, I hope. Um, That's about eight. <laughs> geez, this, is, this is actually... Okay, sorry. Hang on, hang on. Sum in three words. In, in three words. Hardworking. I suppose ambitious. And... Fun, yeah. maybe? That's that's a decent uh, three, even though it's probably four words, I'd say, but I'll give you. I thought I was gonna get I thought I was gonna get harder uh, harder questions to be honest. I feel like uh, I got away with it pretty uh, well pretty easy there. We'll let the listeners be the judge of that. But um no. That's that's it for today anyway. So um listen, Greg, I wanna thank you for coming on and being the first guest of season two. And, you know, I speak on behalf of all the listeners and I wish you all the best with, you know, the next year and uh, beyond that. And um, obviously, we'll all be keeping an eye, an eye on uh, Yale's whereabouts in the rugby uh, world in USA. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed, you never know, we might see you back with the US national team. Um, but no, I just want to thank you for coming on. Thanks a million for, uh, thanks a million for having me on. And- Super. Okay, Greg, I'll leave you.